0: Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352 562 7771 to make tax deductible donations. Here's this week's message Hey, everybody. I'm Mike Rayburn, one of the lead pastors here at Gainesville Vineyard. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Sunday live stream service. I'm glad to be with you wherever you're watching this and whenever you're watching this. I've got a few announcements, a handful of announcements really, and then I'll get into the sermon for today. Uh, the first announcement is communion. We're going to take communion together at the conclusion of this service or near the conclusion. So have something ready for that. Have something to eat and something to drink doesn't matter what it is. We'll consecrate those elements together as the body and the blood of Jesus uh, toward the end of our service together. That's one of the things we do each week, uh, both live streaming and in person when we meet at the Bull. Uh, That's our next announcement is um, we have Bull services right now outside under the tent outside of the bull downtown at 9 a.m if you'd like to attend that um and either for the in-person service or for the live stream we've also got kids lessons and those that go out and the emails that you're getting each week if you're not getting the emails i'm gonna put my email address on the screen somewhere down there um send me an email and let me know if you're not getting the weekly emails and i'll be glad to add you to the list uh, because you want to get those because we've got a lot of good information coming out most what i'm telling you right now uh plus kids lessons and uh and things like that and all the scriptures and the reading there's a reading today in the sermon that's all in the email as well if you want to check that out um next announcement this is also in the email we're doing another covid survey i think this is our third I think it's our third, I'm losing track of all the things anymore, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's our third COVID survey, um, trying to figure out what our next steps are as a congregation. Our lead team met uh, last week and over Zoom and, and talked about it for, gosh, I think like two and a half hours and we went through lots of different ideas and scenarios and we had lots of questions and we had lots of questions about where you're at and so we put together another survey uh, and this should help us answer some of the questions that we came out of our meeting with and it'll help us as we pray and discern uh, what we should do next so help us out with that the the link is in the email i sent i also posted it in the private Facebook group this morning. Uh, so if you can do that in the next couple of days, that would be fantastic. That would help us out a lot. Um, next announcement is our burning questions discussion group is starting tonight, 6 to 8 p.m. It's gonna be on Zoom. Uh, if you want to, participate in that you can discuss you can just listen if you want Uh, but it'll be from 6 to 8 p.m this evening if you'll send me an email uh, i'll get you signed up there's also a link in the weekly email and on facebook page um, where you can go in and sign up for yourself but if you're having trouble with those you can just send me an email i'll get you signed up our first one tonight we're going to discuss the nature of scripture there were several questions i put a little video up on facebook yesterday going through and reading some of them um We're gonna discuss the nature of scripture, uh, what it means to be scripture, what it means to be God's word, inspired, and all of those things. And then I think next time we'll tackle more of the nuts and bolts of who wrote what, when, and how all that works together. So it's kind of a two-part Burning Questions a kid has started. Um, And believe it or not, it's one of the easier topics that we'll be tackling in the Burning Questions discussion group. So if you wanna take part in that, and I sure hope that you will, that's night, 6 to 8 p.m. over Zoom. So join us if you can. And, and just a word, um, someone asked about this. We're, I'm not going to be putting up videos uh, of the of the meetings. Some of the other groups we've done before, I've, I've posted full-length videos of the entire thing. Um, that's. I want this to be a safe space for everyone to discuss freely. Um, and so the idea is that coming out of each one, hopefully I can put together uh, just a short two to five-minute video that that kind of captures the consensus of where the discussion landed at if it lands somewhere. So that's, that's the idea and we'll see how that tracks with reality once we have one tonight. So I'll let you know. Um, next announcement is grocery giveaway is happening this Wednesday at the bridge. We start serving at 11 a.m. So if you need groceries or if you know someone who needs groceries or if you need to pick up groceries for a neighbor or an extended family member, 11 o'clock is when we start serving. Uh, folks do line up early, but you don't really have to. If you're there by 11, we'll get you a full carload of groceries to go. Uh, we're still doing it outside and, and drive through like we've been doing it uh, for the last year and a half now. Uh, if you want to help us volunteer, volunteers come at 10 a.m. and we spend an hour, um, well, the food bank unloads the truck for us. Once they unload the truck, we sort out uh, the meats and the vegetables and the bread and whatever else we get and, and figure out who you know, how how much each family can can get with what we have. Uh, And we do pretty well at it. We have a lot of help from the neighborhood. We have a lot of help from people who are also getting groceries, uh, people that have been coming regularly. We're making a lot of friends. And so if you've got some availability uh, on Wednesday morning or a random Wednesday morning, then um, 10 a.m. to noon. And uh, we serve over 100 families every time. So it's really good work, and we're glad to do it. And if you want to come out with us, uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, also on Wednesday, Wednesday evening is our community garden. We're gardening uh, 6 to 7.30 p.m. every Wednesday evening. It's in the shade by that time of day. It's not nearly as hot. Uh, and most of the digging has been done now. I did do a little bit more digging last week after I told you there was no more digging. Um, but we were just it was very very shallow. We were just buried in some irrigation lines. Um, but uh, we've got stuff growing. Uh, it's like a cover crop that's going to put nitrogen into the soil. I'm told. Uh, But soon we're going to be planting our fall crop. So uh, we also put up a a compost bin. We built a compost bin this past Wednesday. So if you want to help us compost, then Then send Hannah an email. Her email address is on the slides at the beginning and at the end of the service. Uh, I've I've said all and a bit more than I know already. So talk to Hannah O'Malley. She's running the community garden for us, and she will get you set up with volunteering. We're also volunteering the first Saturday of the month. That's coming up on October 2nd or 3rd, whatever the Saturday is, from 8 a.m. to noon. We'll be working uh, Saturday morning. So if you can't do Wednesday evening or if you want to do both, You can come out Saturday morning and get your garden on with us, help us grow, grow with us. And um, all the puns, all the puns all the time for the garden. And uh, and compost with us too. So we're doing it, and it's going to be really, really good. Last announcement I have is giving. Uh, There are three ways you can contribute financially to Gainesville Vineyard and the GMV Bridge Community Center. You can text the word GIVE to the number that's on the screen. You can go to our website, GainesvilleVineyard.org, and click on the GIVE button in the upper right-hand corner. Um, that's a way you can set up recurring giving if you'd like to give the same amount every month or every week. Uh, that will The uh, website will let you do that. Or you can mail a check to the P.O. Box that's on the screen as well. All of your donations are tax-deductible and help us to continue doing the work that we're doing. Uh, for example, I'll just go ahead and tell you, um, the food bank had been... Um, let me just say our costs are going up for doing the groceries a little bit. It's not bad. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit more. We were paying... a month and now it's going to cost us I think $300 a month uh, to do the grocery giveaways. It's really a good deal for the amount of food that we get each time. Uh, But your donations go to things like that. They go to buy the food. They go to buy the supplies for the garden. Uh, They go to pay for our mortgage at the the bridge and and the electricity and, and all of those things and our salaries and and all the things, and it's all because of your generosity and faithfulness, and we really appreciate that. So uh, those are the ways you can give, and thank you for doing that. So let me move into the sermon today. I'm going to want to read three passages of scripture to you that are our texts for today, and then talk about them. Um, The first one is Psalm 1, which if you were tuned into the very beginning, was our centering uh, psalm. If you're not watching from the beginning, we're starting the services now with a time of centering, where uh, Jared's playing some quiet music. I've got some video from a nature scene. It's been Payne's Prairie and my backyard so far, <laughs> uh, but we're going to expand maybe. And and then I read the psalm for the day. Um, and then we have like a minute or two of just of just silence just to center ourselves and prepare our hearts, prepare our souls for um, for a worship service, for a time uh, to commune with the spirit. So I encourage you to tune in earlier if you've not been tuning in earlier. But anyway, I wonder if you've already if you did that. You're going to say, well, I've already heard this. Yeah, you're hearing it twice. I want to read this again, and then I'm going to read a passage from James and a passage from Mark, and I want to to talk about how they all go together and what they mean for us. So this is Psalm 1. Look at this. Happier are those who walk not in the way of the wicked, who pace not on paths without purpose, who sit not in the seats of scorners. They desire the teaching of God and ruminate on divine wisdom both day and night. They will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. All their labor streams forth to fruition. Not so the wicked, who are like chaff that the wind drives away. The wicked will not stand in the light of justice, nor fenders in the assembly of the just. Because God guards the road of the righteous and the way of the wicked wanders away. And this is James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James writes, Are any among you wise in understanding? Then show it in the way you live, doing good from a humble and wise heart. But if your hearts are full of bitter envy and selfish desires, then stop boasting and speaking lies to cover up the truth about yourselves. This is not the kind of wisdom that comes down from above. Instead, it is from this world. It is unspiritual and of the evil one. For where there is jealousy and selfish ways, you will also find confusion and all kinds of evil at work. But the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, unambiguous and not hypocritical. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of justice. And then lastly, I want to read Mark 9, this short vignette we have here, starting in verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me i talked to amy about this uh story in mark and I asked her what she thought of what, how it landed with her, and she said um, the first way that they're not acting like children is they didn't ask when they didn't understand. Jesus says he's going to go and be killed and, and rise on the third day, and they didn't understand, but they didn't ask. Children always ask. Children don't ever hold back with their questions. Uh, parents, you can say amen <laughs> at your convenience. Yet yeah, children would have asked. They wouldn't have been shy. They wouldn't have been ashamed. Are afraid to ask um, about that, but what we see here is that is that the twelve are ashamed. They're afraid. They're, it says specifically they're afraid to tell. Je- they're afraid to ask Jesus what he means, even though they don't get it. And then they're arguing about who's going to be greater or best or first or what have you, which kids sometimes do as well. But then they won't even admit to it. Jesus asked them, "What were you talking about?" And they just they won't. They're afraid to tell him what they were discussing, even though, of course, he already knows. Children always ask. Children don't hold back what they're thinking or what they're saying, um, but we are often afraid to ask. We're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to admit that we don't know something. We're afraid to reveal our shortcomings, our weaknesses, our lack of power. Um, you know. I was in academia for a number of years, and there's a thing that, that PhD students go through called the imposter syndrome, um, and it can be rather acute <laughs> oftentimes, and what I've come to learn uh, since then is that I think pretty much everyone struggles to some extent at some point with imposter syndrome. We all feel like we're faking it. We all feel like we don't belong where we are. This is something that we all face and we're desperately afraid that someone will find out that it's a great mistake and we shouldn't be there. Um, Insecurity, we're just riddled with it. And what we see here in these three passages in Psalm and in James and in Mark is really a choice between two different roads, the way of the kingdom and the way of the world or as Psalm says, the way of the wicked. And, and this, this road of, of, of the wicked, this road of the world, insecurity is, is like the gate that we walk down that road with. Everyone walking down that road has deep-seated insecurities. And here Jesus is calling us to be the least, calling us to be the last, calling us to be the ones with no status and with no power, calling us to the very thing that we're most afraid of. And so we're all stuck on this path, aimlessly wandering around seeking for power for we don't know what, and desperately insecure that we don't have it and what to do if we did have it and and how to not let anyone know that we're a fraud. And yet there's this whole other path that we can walk. But to walk it, we have to give in to all of the worst fears that we have on this path. I mean, you know, to quote Led Zeppelin, there are two paths you can go by. Um, But in the long run, there's still time to change the road that you're on. So the first thing I want to do this morning is I just want to highlight for you the disparity between these two roads, between these two paths, between these two ways. So in Psalms, the worldly way or the, the way of the wicked has these qualities. It's the way of the wicked. It's the path of purposelessness. It's the path of just power seeking for the sake of power seeking. It's this. It's the seats of scorners. Uh, uh, let's, I'm, I'm getting my past confused. This was that path. Uh, this is the way of the wicked and the path of purposelessness and the seats of scorners. This is where we're chaff in the wind, which we're all desperately afraid of being. This is the path of judgment. This is the path of injustice. And in the end, this path wanders off and it disappears. You ever been walking down a trail and then the trail ends and you don't know where to go? Because it's like, wait a minute, there's just grass. What happened to the well-worn path that I was on? I lost it somewhere. This path always ends lost, is what Psalm 1 tells us. And then James says that, that this path is where we have our hearts filled with bitter envy and selfish desires. This path is 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 marked by boasting and lying, covering up the truth about ourselves. Basically, what the twelve were doing in Mark nine, they were boasting. There's no way to argue about who's greater without there being a lot of boasting going on. So they were boasting, uh, and then they were and then they were covering up the truth about their boasting, and then they were lying. Uh, that's what they were doing. So James may have been remembering this. Uh, this this time, as he's writing this letter, uh, th- this, this path is worldly. It's unspiritual. It's evil. It's marked by jealousy and confusion. It brings jealousy and confusion into all aspects of life. And then, and then in Mark, of course, we see they were afraid to ask. They were arguing over status and over who was greater. And then they were silent. They refused to face the truth about themselves when Jesus questioned them. By contrast, this other road, the Kingdom Road, the Kingdom Road has very different qualities from that road. Um, On this path, there is a desire for the teaching of God. Some of your translations will say they delight in in the law of God or they they take pleasure in the word of God. Those are all good translations. Uh, Desire for the teaching of God, ruminating on divine wisdom, meditating on the word of God. And this path, there's fruit bearing. We're like trees planted by water, um, secure. God guards this road, the road of the just, the road of the righteous. This road is marked, James tells us, uh, by people who have a humble and wise heart. This road is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's accommodating. It makes room for differences. It, it lets people do what they want to do. It's not, it's not saying you have to do things a certain way. It's accommodating. It's, it's submissive is the old word you might see in that translation uh, you're reading. It's full of mercy and good fruit, again, we're told. It's unambiguous. There's none of this, I don't know what you mean. You're trying to cover up your meaning. No, it speaks directly. And it speaks truthfully. And it's also not hypocritical. It's sincere. This path is marked by peacemakers. The people who walk on this path are peacemakers. And all that they do, they sow peace into into their lives, into their world. And by sowing in peace, they reap a harvest. And by sowing in peace, they reap a harvest of justice. That's a good path. And of course, Jesus tells us in Mark that the first must be last. That's the way you get on this path. Uh, the goal is to be the servant, to be the least, to be the last. This is the place of welcoming of children. This is the place of embracing the powerless, uh, the people who have no status. And when we do that, we're welcoming Jesus and we're welcoming Papa. We're welcoming the Holy Spirit. That's a very, very different path. And even though they're two disparate, very different paths, it's so easy to be on the kingdom road, and to and to miss an exit, or, or mistakenly take an exit and detour onto the worldly way, it happens all the time. And for example, uh, I don't know if this will resonate with you or not, but um, for some reason my boys are into Aladdin, the Disney movies. These um, and I say because there's two movies uh, lately, and so um, we've watched both the cartoon uh old cartoon with robin williams aladdin and they've watched the new live action one uh a, a couple of times each now i think over the last week or so and of course i've been in and out doing things um and and, and my and the girls or our daughters were very into the cartoon aladdin when they were young so as i don't know about you uh if you're a parent um but for me when i'm re-watching a movie i've seen uh many times um i'd start reflecting on it philosophically (laughs) and wondering like "Hmm, what does this mean what does that mean and and i really like the the live action one now they have with will smith as the genie and i'm gonna a, a little quote from that here in a second uh he's got some some nice truth bombs in that one um but you know i was thinking you know here's aladdin he's very different from jafar and from other people who might seek the lamp he's not really seeking after the lamp and yet Even though he's on like this altruistic path, where he just wants what's best for everyone, he quickly falls off. When he gets what he wants, when he gets a taste of power and of wealth, he falls right into like breaking his promise and lying. Like he tells the genie, he's. um, Do I need to give a spoiler warning here? Spoiler warning: If you haven't seen Aladdin. Well, if you haven't seen Aladdin by this point, you're probably not going to, um, which is fine. Um, but he promises the genie he'll use his third wish to set the genie free. And, and even one of my boys commented the other day, like, after his second wish, when, when the genie rescues him from drowning, it's like, why don't you use your wish right now? What are you waiting for? You made this promise, but he doesn't do it. And then later on, he decides that he can't because he needs to have this power and this money. Uh, And they make this explicit in the new movie, and this is what the genie says. At the very beginning, uh, when Aladdin first rubs the lamp, uh, the genie is explaining how all this works. And he says this, he says, Now I usually don't have to go through all of this, because by the time the guy gets to me, he pretty much knows what he wants. It generally has to do with tons of money and power. Do me a favor, do not drink from that cup. I promise you, there is not enough money and power on Earth for you to be satisfied and that's such a beautiful sentiment of truth given to us by the Disney Corporation. so I'll just leave that right where it's at. Um, and then later on when Aladdin turns and is is not keeping his word and has fallen off the path to the other one, the genie says, "Oh, so you are going to drink from that cup." And yeah, because we do that, it's so easy for us to fall into the worldly way, to be jockeying for power and jockeying for position. I mean, if the 12 who are following Jesus can fall into it, you and I can fall into it as well, just as easily as Aladdin could. Um, it's so easy to get swept up down that road, down the road of power and money, down the road of status and prestige, all of that. And one of the burning questions I got is about power. And we're going to be tackling that in one of our coming up discussion sessions. But my purpose in this sermon is, is not to wax philosophical uh, more than I already have about power, but to get us to hear as clearly as we can the call of Scripture that we see and hear in these passages. The call between these two paths, the kingdom road and the way of the world, two very different paths. And it's so easy to fall, even when we're on the kingdom road, it's so easy to get swept up down the other road. And so scripture repeatedly reminds us, because we need repeatedly to be reminded, to be called back to the kingdom road. And that's what I want us to hear this morning. Uh, More than anything is a call. There's two things I want us to hear. This is the first one, just the perpetual call to follow in the way of Jesus and to not get detoured into some other path. Um, and I think key to what I want to say, both for that and the other thing I want to say here in a minute, is, is focusing on this thing that Jesus does. He, he stands this child up in their midst, and then he takes the child in his arms, and he says, you have to become like little children. And this is not the only time Jesus does this. He does it again in Mark, like two chapters later, in chapter 10 or 11, I think. Um, There's this whole section of teaching in Mark focused on this very thing. And it's bookended by these two two instances of Jesus holding a child and saying, you've got to be like this to enter into the kingdom. That's what he says in the other one, is that if you don't enter the kingdom like a child, you're not getting in. And in John's gospel, of course, he says that a different way. He says you must be born again. But all of this, we have to receive the little children. Because in receiving the little children, we're receiving Jesus and Papa and the Holy Spirit. And our welcome for these least of these is our welcome of God. We're told this again in Matthew 25, of course. You know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. That's the same sentiment there. We're told that we must be born again. We're told that if we don't receive the kingdom as children, we can't enter in. And so it's good for us to stop and reflect on what does Jesus mean by this? What was the status of children in his day? Because on the surface, it's very different than the status of children in our day. Uh, although I think there are some, some points of, of continuity that I'm not going to get into much this morning, uh, but just a little bit uh, toward the end when I when I read something to you here in a minute. Um, but But children, basically... In Jesus' day, were the least, the very least of society. Uh, they were almost always the victims. And you see over and over again in the Gospels, the children that are brought to Jesus are suffering. They're suffering, and they're, and they're not receiving the care that they need. And so the, the children are the least, the children are the victims. And by extension, the children are us. The children are us caught up in the cycle of perpetual violence that happens between generations. And so to explain that, I, I could just try to copy, um, but I'm just going to read it to you. This is a book by Ched Myers called Binding the Strong Man." It's a commentary on the book of Mark, and I'm going to put these up on the screen. I'm going to read to you a couple of passages. This is uh, the, the page that's up on the screen now. This is at the very bottom of that first page and then on the top of the second page. Myers writes, Jesus sets about illustrating what becoming least means, beginning with an object less close at hand. Children represented the bottom of the social and economic scale in terms of status and rights in the ancient Mediterranean world. And then he quotes another scholar, Age divisions and commensurate power and responsibility were hierarchical, sharply demarcated, and significant. Authority ran vertically downward." Age and tradition were revered and powerful. Early training was harshly disciplined. It was not until early adulthood that the young person began receiving serious consideration as a member of the family group. Myers continues, It is remarkable enough that Jesus draws attention at all to children, for they were considered non-entities. It is quite shocking that he would advance them as models for his social program." Yet he does not once, but twice, returning to them again in chapter ten, again throwing the hearer's social world into crisis, with the radical status reversal of the kingdom. Jesus launches his assault on the disciples' concern for power, and then he returns to this a few pages later, and I want to read this to you again. In the middle of page two sixty-eight. Myers writes, The social signification of such a consistent narrative portrait suggests that Mark understands the child as victim. And unlike most commentators who idealize childhood and children in their gospel readings, uh, Myers wants us to read them as they really were in that social world and how that relates to our social world. So starting there at section three, He says one of the surest findings of the modern psychological disciplines is perhaps the recovery of an old truth, lost through the breakup of traditional kinship structures and the over-concentration on the individual. That is, the family unit is a social system in its own right, and patterns must be examined structurally. The family system's approach to psychotherapy, combined with the basic insights of Freud, who located the origin of neurosis in early childhood, have begun to reveal a startling truth. The child is always the primary victim of practices of domination within the family. Miller wonders whether it will ever be possible for us to grasp the extent of the loneliness and desertion to which we were exposed as children, and hence, intrapsychically, as adults. She portrays children as the ideal candidates for exploitation by virtue of their complete dependence, material and emotional, upon the adult. The love love a child has for his or her parents ensures that their conscious or unconscious acts of mental cruelty will go undetected. Their tolerance for their parents knows no bounds. Children cannot have critical awareness of manipulation by adults nor can they react to it. Skipping down a bit, according to Miller, the silent drama of children consists of the following stages. One, to be hurt, dominated as a young child without anyone knowing. Two, to be unable to react or to process resultant anger. Three, to internalize the sense of betrayal by rationalizing or idealizing the parent's good intentions. Four, finally, to so repress the painful memory as to forget. Five, to later, as an adult, discharge the unconscious store of anger onto either self- or others. The result is what she identifies as a vicious circle of contempt for those who are smaller and weaker, patterns of domination that are maintained and psychically enforced intergenerationally. The legacy of this drama is twofold, psychic and social, for the adult will both interject and project the deep pain and anger that is stored from childhood. The personal cost is manifested in depression and various forms of despair. The social cost is manifested through oppression, the concrete reproduction of interpersonal violence. Both are tragic, but it is the latter that I wish to focus upon here in my political reading. One social consequence is the adult's passive acceptance, or indeed active promotion of, ideologies and practices of oppression in whose service they allow their innermost selves to be completely dominated as had been the case in their childhood miller cites as an example the heroic willingness of adolescents to fight the wars of older men in which they are able to avenge their earlier debasement and divert this hatred from their parents if they are given a clear-cut enemy whom they are permitted to hate freely and with impunity Of particular interest to Miller, a Swiss of the generation that remembers Hitler, is how so many otherwise intelligent and critical persons can readily submit to authoritarianism. When a man comes along and talks like one's own father and acts like him, even adults will forget their democratic rights or will not make use of them. They will submit to this man, will acclaim him, allow themselves to be manipulated by him, and put their trust in him without even being aware of their enslavement." And then Myers goes on to talk about the cult of personality surrounding Ronald Reagan, because this was written that long ago. So lest you think I'm alluding to something more recent, I am, uh, but that's not what Myers is writing. Um, The reason I read all that is one, so you can hear more directly from a biblical scholar, Uh, The world that Jesus is inhabiting and speaking into. Children were non-entities in that world. He's not talking about their innocence or their purity. He's talking about their just complete lack of status. And that does free them up to ask questions when they want to ask questions. And to speak their mind when they want to speak their mind and it feels safe. But they're still dependent as much as they ever were. Physically and emotionally on the people who are raising them. And we have been, in our own turn, children, weak and powerless and dependent on those who were giving us care in whatever form that care came. And so, the children are the least. They're the victims. And they're us, even though we're afraid to admit it, oftentimes. And what following Jesus on the kingdom road means on the justice road, on the peacemaking road. means breaking this cycle of intergenerational violence where broken family systems perpetuate into new broken family systems. And so I have two things I want you to take away from this sermon this morning. One is the old familiar word, right? Let's follow the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. Welcoming children. Welcoming the least, welcoming the victims of oppression, welcoming the powerless. That's all things you've heard me talk about uh, repeatedly, and I will keep talking about them because that's the old, good, familiar word. The new word I want to bring you this morning that I don't think I've ever shared, but is also a true word, is we're being called, and I think some of us specifically are being called, to accept our own childhoods. To accept our own powerlessness. To break the cycle of intergenerational, emotional, and psychic violence, and in some cases, physical violence. And to choose the kingdom road, in the way of peace. Now, in welcoming parts of ourselves that have been long buried, uh, we, we often need help. Okay, so as I was reading and as I was just sharing, if that's stirring up stuff in you, um, pay attention to it. But just know that you, you're probably going to need to talk to a counselor or a therapist. Therapy is a good thing. Some of us need therapy. Okay, so if this is stirring up stuff for you, whew, I'm, I'm really reluctant to do this over video, but this is where we are. Uh, if we were in person i could at least see if you were breaking down but if this causes you to break down then reach out to me and i put you in touch with someone who can help you specifically um we need to let ourselves go at whatever pace the spirit leads us i I would encourage us always to be gentle gentle with each other gentle with ourselves Um, not forcing things that we're not ready to deal with, and also not refusing to confront what we're ready to confront. Because nothing in our lives gets wasted. No part of us gets wasted. Nothing goes unredeemed. See, when we bury things that are too painful to deal with, we're not burying them from God. We're bearing them from ourselves. We're bearing them until we're ready to deal with them, however long that is. The Spirit is willing to wait as long as need be. And even here in this story in Mark, Jesus is incredibly gentle with the disciples. He knows they're arguing about who the greatest is. He knows they don't understand what he's talking about. And he knows they don't ask. And he knows they don't say. And he doesn't... Beat them up. He gives them a simple object lesson, and lets them sit with it. So, if this is stirring up things for you, I will hope that you will uh, reach out to me, reach out to a counselor or a therapist, um, and, 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 and let yourself um, accept who you are and who you've been and all the parts of you. Nothing about us gets wasted, nothing goes unredeemed. The Spirit will bring to us deep inner healing. Deep inner healing is available to us. Deep inner healing is something that the Holy Spirit and therapy can bring into our lives. We can break the cycle. We can welcome the least. And we can welcome the least parts of ourselves. We don't have to be ashamed, we don't have to hide, we don't have to bury. When we're ready to deal with things, we can deal with them. And the Lord will help us. And good counselors and therapists will help us as well. So that's my message this morning. It's very simple. Follow Jesus on the Kingdom Road. Welcome the least. Embrace our lastness. And welcome in the least parts. Of our own selves. Welcome the children. Even the children that we used to be. So let's take communion together. And then and then we're going to end with one more worship song. Um, grab what you have to eat for me. With me. And say this with me. As you hold this up. This becomes the body of Jesus. Whatever your morsel of food is. Say this with me. This is the body of Jesus. Jesus breaks the cycle. Eat together. raise your cup. As you raise your cup together, this becomes the blood of Jesus. And say this with me. This is the blood of Jesus. With Jesus, nothing is wasted. Drink together. We're going to close this morning's service with another worship song by Christy and Rachel and Jared. The song is called Dead Horse. And the, the tagline at the end is, nothing is wasted with you. And I hope that that will stay with you. And allow the Lord to bring up whatever. Don't force anything. Whatever comes up, whatever comes up, it doesn't get wasted. It can all be redeemed. All parts of us can be redeemed so that we can be whole, wholehearted, and full of life and free to walk down the kingdom road because it's a beautiful road and God guards that road for us and for our lives. So sing along or let them sing this song over you. And I pray the Spirit will meet you where you are and do whatever work is next for your soul and for your life. I love you. I'm praying for you. Feel free to reach out to me if you need to talk about any of this. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word Give to 352-562-7771 all donations are tax deductible we appreciate you listening to this message and pray the spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today god bless